Hello, and welcome to the Chest Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you all to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominic Pepper. I'm the host of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really interesting discussion on lower versus higher fluid volumes in adult patients with sepsis. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Praline Sivapalan to uh, be our guest, and she's the first author on this CHEST paper. Um, Praline, can you introduce yourself? Yes, well, thank you, Dominique, and thank you for the invite to join in this podcast. I really appreciate this. It's a great opportunity and honor to be a part of it, so I've been looking very much forward to it. My name is Feline um, Zopalan. I'm a medical doctor and a PhD research fellow at the Department of Intensive Care at Copenhagen University Hospital Hospital in Denmark. My main research interests are within critical care, clinical trials, sepsis, fluid therapy, and my conflict of interests are in relation to that as I've been part of the European clinical trial called the Classic Trial, which was a a randomized clinical trial of fluid therapy in septic shock. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, especially from far away in Denmark and Copenhagen. Um, So we'll start you off by asking, why is fluid resuscitation in sepsis so important? Why are we so fixated about it, and how does it affect the outcomes? Thank you. Um, First of all, sepsis, it's a global burden. It's a leading cause of death worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, there were in 2017 approximately 49 million cases, yielding around 11 million sepsis-related deaths. So sepsis kills millions each year, and WHO made calls for global action on sepsis. Um, As these numbers are equivalent to one in five deaths worldwide. Um, And fluid therapy is considered a cornerstone in management of sepsis. It's um, a basic element of practice. We do it every day, almost unquestionably. And it's uh, heavily embedded in what we do and also part of of guidelines and management of sepsis. Um, However, there, there is a practice variation which is probably due to the fact that the surviving sepsis guidelines are based on low certainty of evidence and therefore it's a weak recommendation based on remarkably little evidence to inform our practice for an intervention done daily worldwide. So the recent years, the body of evidence has been growing in this unanswered question, which is uh, good news. So we wanted to try and sum that up. Yes, if there is one controversy in sepsis, is it's regarding uh, fluid resuscitation. Most uh, clinicians will say, yes, they'll definitely give fluids of some sort, but when you dial down or you, you try to dig deeper as to how much fluid they give, um, that is where everyone has a lot of variation in practice. Um, so maybe you could ask answer for us, um, 
In your study, you defined lower versus higher fluid volumes, or you investigated lower versus higher fluid volumes. What is that? What is a low fluid volume? What is a high fluid volume? Um, and how did you use those uh, definitions to inform your systematic review? Yes, that, that's a that's a really good question, which we also thought thought a lot about. Um, where do we find this um, threshold? And um, our initial thought was we wanted to include trials with strategies to separate IV fluid volumes uh, or balances um, without putting an exact number for what is low and what is high and look into what the practice is in the, in the clinical trials included. Okay, so let's jump into your systematic review. Um, this is an updated systematic review. Um, so why did you perform an updated systematic review and what were your study aims? Yes, yeah, so, so as you say, this is an update from a previous review conducted by a group uh, previously led by Tina Mayhoff. Um, and when our group started the journey, there was suspected harm from trials conducted in non-European countries. Um, and this led us to look at further into it. Um, in the previous review, we found very low quantity and quality of evidence supporting the decision on volumes of IV fluid therapy in adult sepsis patients. Um, so this previous work was leading up to inform a clinical tri trial trying to answer this clinical equipoise around IV fluid therapy strategies. Um, so in the convert conservative versus liberal approach to fluid therapy of sepsis struck in intensive care, the classic trial. We randomized 1,554 um, patients to restrictive uh, versus standard care. And after wrapping that up, also knowing that a few other trials has been looking into it and completing, we wanted to look into the body of evidence to provide how does this um, look after including almost three times as many patients last time. Okay, so we had a lot more uh, data out there, a lot more studies available, and it's very important to perform these systematic reviews so that we're practicing with the best available evidence. So maybe you could go into your methods on how you performed your systematic review um, and comment on what a trial sequential analysis is. <laughs> Sure, definitely. That's uh, always a good one to get into. So the study was conducted with a pre-planned protocol using conventional methodologies for systematic reviews. We follow recommendations by the Cochrane Handbook and used the great methodologies and reported the results according to the PRISMA statements. This was, as we talked about, an updated review. So we searched the six medical databases and two online registries done previously. And um, as pre-specified, the inclusion criteria were adult patients with sepsis in trials with strategies to separate IV fluid volumes or balances. And we wanted to have, look into the three core primary outcomes, which was mortality, serious adverse events, and quality of life. Um, and this time, because there had been a few updates on the methodologies, we chose to adhere to these and use the updated um, risk of bias tool where the uh, risk of bias is adjudicated at the outcome level and not at trial level. And then uh, we conducted the conventional uh, meta-analysis and, and 
addition to that, to rate the imprecision of the estimates coming from the NITA analysis, we use this trial sequential analysis to test the conclusiveness of the NITA analysis and trying not to go into too many technical details, the trial sequential analysis allows us to calculate a required information size for the cumulative meta-analysis to be conclusive based on a, a pure risk reduction on what we have defined as 15% for the binary outcomes and one day for the continuous outcome. So the analysis can be compared to a com conventional sample site calculation for a single trial or maybe more equivalent to an interim analysis in randomized clinical trials as it accounts for the issues on repeated testing on the meta-analysis as you add trials continuously um, with the included type 1 and 2 errors. So, um, yeah, that was part of the a new thing we added um, in this Systematic review was also a Bayesian analysis of all-cause mortality, and this was to not it, this was not part of the pre-published protocol, but we wanted to give um, more nuanced um, and a more probabilistic interpretation of the results. Um, however, this is definitely easier to convey if you're looking at uh, some of the figures than in the podcast. True. Yeah. So we really appreciate you doing a thorough analysis on this really important question. So let's jump into your key findings. Um, you wanted to investigate whether um, lower or higher fluid volumes improved uh, all-cause mortality. You also wanted to look at um, the serious adverse events. What did you find, um, and how did you interpret those findings? Yes, so overall, as we covered, I think the additional uh, four trials since the last review, with the two trials being more than 1,500 patients from the classic trial, the Chloris, definitely increased the quantity and also the certainty of evidence since the last time. Um, so we found that a relative risk reduction larger than 15% on mortality is unlikely. Um, which was also supported by the trial sequencing analysis reaching fertility. But we chose to downgrade this um, evidence to moderate as the interpretation is limited by the imprecision in the estimate, which does not include um, exclude potential benefit or harm. Um, and coming to the series of birth events, um, it was only predefined and reported in six of the 13 trials. And the definition varied across the trials, which is make, which made it tricky. Um, but we tried to pull this, and as we observed, uh, and we did not observe any uh, st statistical um, significant difference in the serious adverse events. However, this was um, based on low certainty of evidence. And then lastly, the we looked, into health rate quality of life. Um, but unfortunately, at the time, no trials reported this. But being part of the classic trial team, I think I can reveal we have just recently published the long-term outcomes. So um, there's a little bit of new evidence and a little tease on that part. So this systematic review is really informative, especially considering that um, we've had over 
two to three to four decades of sepsis research and fluid therapy has been advocated and at times um, uh, fluid therapy has been adamantly claimed that it needs to be at least 30 cc's per kilogram or whatever volume um, okay. and uh, payment of, of uh, hospitals and physicians has been um, affected by uh, the, those guidelines or those recommendations. Yet your systematic review and meta-analysis with the trial sequential analysis shows that there is no uh, difference in outcomes uh, that you could detect on a lower versus higher fluid volume strategy. Why do you think that is, and uh, why did we? Why were we so adamant in the past about the 30 cc's per kilogram fluid volume? That's a that's a really good question. Um, I think I'll start with the limitation of my study because I think um, at the time when we planned this, we were looking for a 15% um, relative risk reduction, and this was partly also because it was going to inform a pragmatic trial. But um, if I was planning this today, I would definitely look more into a few um, different risk reductions, which I think is uh, clinically relevant. And we looked even closer into even a 10% relative reduction would be clinically relevant and interesting. And at that time, then there would still be um, there would still be some unanswered question on that part. And I think also I can um, share with you that if we look at these fluid trials running over for the classic trial, it was three years. We can just looking at the process outcomes, we can see that from the first interim analysis to the last one in the standard care group, the fluid levels was half from four to two liters. So I think part of it is also um, an explanation for, for the findings in this uh, review. So I want to jump into those limitations because as you said in your five trials, uh, in, in five of these trials, even though they wanted to have a separation of fluid volumes, they were unable to achieve that. And it would, and the assumption would be is that clinicians have these patients enrolled in these studies, but the clinician is still going to do what they think is best for their patient. And if that patient needs more fluid, they're going to go ahead and give more fluid. If, they, if the clinician feels that the patient doesn't need more fluid and it may potentially harm the patient, they may uh, withdraw on that fluid. So I guess the question is, why do you think we can't separate these fluid volumes? Um, and if it's because uh, the clinicians are trying to do what's best for their patient, um, are we ever going to answer this question, um, or is it a question that needs to be answered? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think um, to dig into the trials with separation versus without separations, we discussed how to get around this. Um, we chose to include the ones that had an intention, but we wanted to look further into it with a subgroup analysis to see if, if that's where the answer was. And um, looking into the subgroup of the trials with and without separation, it, it was consistent with the primary findings. Um, and I also think um, open-label fluid trials is, uh, of course, hard to, to conduct without um, protocol violations being part of one. I, I can see it's... Um, as you say, the clinicians 
sometimes, especially on these, have a have an um, opinion on what would be best for their for their patients. So it's hard to avoid this completely. But um, but I think at the same time, it's a, an important question to to answer. And the latest trial, we can show that the, within these frames frameworks of these trials, you can safely use IV fluids. Okay, so you, the second message that you had from the systematic review is that um, you can administer fluid safely. So does it get to this question of what was higher versus lower fluid volume uh, when you looked at all these studies? Because this is kind of one of the questions that um, a clinician is taking care of ICU patients once answered. Um, in this paper, you say lower versus higher fluid volumes uh, there was no real difference in outcomes, but for the clinician, they want to know, well, what was a lower fluid volume? What was a higher fluid volume? Could, can you comment on that for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question and also a hard one to answer um, because the trials are, of course, uh, heterogenic, and um, we tried to for the transparency to look into the fluid volumes, how they were, how the medians or means were in the different trials, but to compile that into one large trial with different inclusion criteria are different. We are working on trying to pull the four large trials in a in a um, individualized meta-analysis with the Clovers, the Classic, and the ERAS and EVIS trial to maybe be Better, but to be find a better answer on on low what is lower and what is higher and and how can that be um, yeah how how does that affect it but uh, um, yeah I think um, in a systematic review we don't you look at you try to um, you try to for the existing evidence, but it's of course also with the with the the limitation of the included studies, and and that's where the heterogeneity also comes to to place. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. Uh, you can only perform a systematic review as good as the trials that you include. So I'm really fascinated by um, this future study that you're planning, um, and I assume that you're going to get patient-level data on all these patients that were in the Clovis trial, your, your classic trial, and then really dig down into higher versus lower fluid volumes and what they uh, what the actual volume was, are you going to factor in comorbid illnesses? Because that seems to be a question that clinicians, or a factor that clinicians um, take into consideration when treating their patients. If the patient has heart failure or uh, uh, kidney disease, they tend to give less fluid. Uh, and then if they uh, dehydrated um, or had a lot of um, insensible losses, they may give more fluid. How will you tease that out uh, in this planned study going forward? Yeah, so that's definitely something to take into account as a clinician. And what we're trying to do is looking at the harmonization of the data from the four, four trials and and look closer into how can we do a subgroup within these comorbidities to try to answer these questions. So, so hopefully that's uh, that that can be um, further inform the upcoming work can further inform our our um, 
our future guidelines. So we hope that that can be answered. Great. So um, I'm going to give you the final word here. Um, so based on this systematic review, um, and it's really timely, very important that you did this work and applaud you and your team for doing it, what do you think is the take-home message? How does this study advance our clinical practice? What do you want our clinicians to be aware of um, as they leave uh, this discussion? Well, thank you for that. Uh, I think um, what I want the take-home message to be is that um, within the trials included, um, you can use the IV fluid safely within these framework of the trials. And um, I think there's still work that needs to discover how how that lower and higher um, is defined, but within this framework, it's safe. And I think the ongoing trials will inform us maybe a bit more on the earlier phases because that's still uh, a bit unanswered. And because all the trials in, included here, um, I think it was nine out of 13 fluid were already given. Um, and also there's unanswered questions about the later phase and these de-resuscitation trials. Um, and then I think, yeah, hopefully the IPDMA can even go into a few more of the nuanced um, questions that you also alluded to. Perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely be looking for that future work because um, it's really important. We want to make sure that we treat our patients appropriately and that uh, these therapies are beneficial and not harming them. Um, for our audience, uh, we discussed um, a paper entitled Lower Versus Higher Fluid Volumes in Adult Patients with Sepsis, an updated systematic review with meta-analysis and trial-sequential analysis. Uh, it was published in CHEST uh, 2023. And a very big thank you to Dr. Siva Pollan for joining us. Uh, and a big thank you to our CHEST community for joining us as well. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a CHEST podcast.